You are listening to Water Flying, a show dedicated to all things seaplanes. Brought to you by the Seaplane Pilots Association. My name is Steve McCoy. I'm the executive director of the Seaplane Pilots Association, which is the world's largest nonprofit advocacy organization dedicated to the protection and promotion of the water flying community. Climb aboard! We're about to start today's episode. Welcome back to Water Flying. I'm Abby Kellett, a flight instructor in seaplanes and assistant to Steve McCauley, executive director here at the Seaplane Pilots Association. Before we start this next episode, we would like to thank our sponsors. That's all of you, the members of the Seaplane Pilots Association. You've shown real dedication, as we've said before, to helping us achieve our mission of protecting and promoting the water flying community. So thank you for helping us make all of this possible. This podcast is just one of the ways we want to communicate with our members and the public. You can follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can also email us here at the office spa at seaplanes.org. So today we're joined by Paul Arnold of Switlick, a company that is really known for producing some of the highest quality flotation devices available. And today we want to answer some of the most common questions we get here at SPA about personal flotation devices. Switlick PFDs, it's important to understand, are literally used by every branch of the military. I used them in the special operations in the Air Force and other very demanding customers like the petroleum industry among others. And for those reasons, these PFDs are the ones that I personally use and one of the options available directly here from the Seaplane Pilots Association. Paul, thank you so much for joining <laughs> us today. Oh, no problem. Thank you so much for having me, Stephen Abbey. Um, really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you about aviation safety. It's uh it's great to be able to nerd out with you about a subject is very uh, <laughs> close to nerd out. Heart. I like that. <laughs> I, I I really like that because I think we both joke with each other about being such nerds, and you're the first person that's ever accused us of. of so it's nice <laughs> to be. Out. Yeah, it's nice to be uh, in common company fellow nerd on aviation yeah. safety products. Listen, yeah, 20 years in aviation and all of it has been spent uh, somewhere related to aviation safety, whether it's emergency equipment or emergency components. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very happy to hear uh, to be here and, and talk with you both about it. But um, going back, you're absolutely correct. Switlick is a manufacturer of about a half a dozen different life vests for uh, every branch of the military. We're also one of the largest manufacturers of anti-exposure suits, anti-gravity suits for fast fast jet pilots. Um, We're one of the three largest manufacturers of commercial airline life vests in the world. Also one of the largest suppliers of constant wear life vests to the offshore oil and gas helicopter market. For the GA market, uh, seaplanes included, we sell our vests through authorized dealers just like the Seaplane Pilots Association. And you guys are celebrating your centennial. I know we kind of missed it. But I, I think we're still going to we're going to revel in the celebrations. So happy centennial. Thank you very much. Yeah, we were founded in 1920 in October of 1920. So technically, we're still right in the middle of our uh, centennial year. So anywhere between October 2020 and October 2021, we're still 100 years old. Yes, we didn't miss it. So we're so <laughs> glad to have you here, Paul. Thank you so much for taking the time. So Steve and I get questions all the time. Um, I get questions when I'm teaching. And we really just, we want to kind of let the listeners know some of the most frequently asked questions that we get about PFDs. 
So starting off, what kind of a PFD should a seaplane pilot carry with them when they fly? So I think I'll start off asking Steve this question. Yeah, this is an area we're going to continue to explore in this podcast because it is such a deep subject. There is no one answer to that. So there are many variables that determine which PFD might be right for a seaplane pilot. Among these is price sensitivity and the cost of the PFD, the level of protection that a pilot wants for himself or his passengers or her um, passengers or herself, and also the mission, which is really greatly varied, whether you're doing just a little day flight or if you're going deep into the woods or across big water. Steve, why can't I wear boat life jackets? <laughs> it's, just, it's the most frustrating question because it seems so obvious. But really, like once you have it explained to you, it makes so much more sense. So why can't I wear a boat life jacket in a seaplane? It does seem obvious, but it's not because we still see them in seaplanes. Right. Right. So it's mm-hmm. important. And, and again, you can't assume that someone knows the answer to this question because I think people assume they can wear boat life jacket or pfd please do not so many of the boating pfds have an auto deploy feature and this seems counterintuitive but it's not necessarily a good thing so this auto deploy feature will inflate when it gets in contact with water and this is really a bad option for seaplane pilots because that means that when you capsize in the water, you're upside down in the airplane, you're going to have an inflation. We're going to cover that in just a moment. So boating PFDs, um, which have a constant buoyancy, are also a problem for the exact same reason. So a constant buoyancy, meaning they're always like those big, chunky orange The ones. big orange ones. Yeah, yeah. right. Okay. Or, or a ski vest. Right. A lot of the ski vests, uh, things like that, uh, will have a constant flotation. So both of these designs increase your chances of getting trapped in your seaplane most specifically or under your seaplane but usually it's going to be in the airplane so the heavy end of the airplane usually the nose where the engine is is going to sink first and as it sinks the air is going to go to the baggage compartment which is where you're going to go and where's the smallest door if there's a door in that area of the airplane the baggage compartment the baggage compartment so you're going to shoot up like a bobber to the baggage compartment and you're not going to be able to get out so for this very reason you do not want an auto deploy feature on a PFD, which are what you most likely see at your marine supply stores, your West Marines, your Bass Pros, people, uh, places like that. And you do not want to wear ever a constant flotation vest. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So that's what I go through with my ground school. So it, it's nice to have it explained out. Um, gives me a little bit more credibility and the reason why we can't have those life jackets. Paul? I have an X-Back Molly PFD from Switlick. So, Steve, um, it was my Christmas present this year, and it's very comfortable. I love it. And um, I have a heat bottle as well because the Molly has the option to have the heat bottle attached on the side. It's top of the line. I've learned more about these things as I've come to work at SBA, and I really just I enjoy wearing the Molly. So Steve knows the quality and the fact that Switlick is a standout with their products. Can you take us through some of the unique features of my Molly PFD? Absolutely. I'd be very pleased to do that. Uh, first of all, great choice. The x Molly is a fantastic vest, and uh, that's a great Christmas present. I wish 
I wish my family was that nice to me. Thanks, Mom. Uh, <laughs> the the X-Pac <laughs> the, the is one of our constant wear life vests, um, meaning it's donned before flight and it's not removed until after the aircraft lands. It's different from the constant flotation uh, vest that Steve was talking about in that it doesn't provide buoyancy until it's inflated. Uh, and it's manually inflated by activating two pull handles on the front of the vest that release gas from compressed CO2 cylinders. Um, so you get to decide when it provides you buoyancy. As Steve was mentioning, it's going to be very, very difficult to swim down and out of the aircraft if you've got constant buoyancy in your um, in your life vest. So this the, the X-Pac remains stowed and uninflated until you exit the aircraft and manually pull those um pull those handles that will inflate the uh, uh, inflate the cells. Now, this vest does have twin cells, so you do have some redundancy. So just in case you do have a puncture in one, uh, there is going to be some buoyancy provided by the other uh, other cell. Well, we love that um, redund- redundancy as pilots. Yes, oh, that's do. just nice to hear. Right. Aviation should include redundancy. Any kind of aviation safety should include redundancy. Definitely. Absolutely. So like I was saying, those inflation chambers, they remain stowed inside an outer covering. Uh, Swit- Switlick's X-Packs are made from a Kevlar Nomex fabric that is soft to the touch, but it provides superior fire-resistant qualities and protection against tears or punctures. So the x pack series of vests are our most popular vests. Uh, I think this has to do with the fact that they're also our most comfortable ones. Yes. Um, they definitely yes, are. Yeah, Abby, you can you can <laughs> you can account for that. You can wear one of these things for hours on hours on end, and uh, some people even say that they forget that they're wearing them. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I'm, I'm just going to interrupt here for a moment because one of the things that I pride myself on in trying to sell these uh, two customers and and explain why you know there's no reason not to wear one during Sun and Fun, which is coming up, and literally during the entire week of Air Venture. I will wear an X-Pac for the entire show when I'm in front of the public. And that's because, number one, it starts conversations. Even when I'm walking around the show line or anywhere going to interviews, I wear this PFD because... It's not a big deal. Not, it, it opens a conversation, number one. But number two, if I can do it for a week at AirVenture in the middle of the summer in Wisconsin then there is absolutely no reason not to do this. Absolutely. <laughs> so, no, I to- totally agree. And, and it was one of the major design points that we tried to hit um, when we were designing the X-Pack. Uh, we listened to user feedback and user feedback from our original vests that date way back until the, the early 1980s with constant wear vests when we started making them uh, was that they weren't comfortable. And Switlick truly believes that comfort is safety um, because once you're in the aircraft, you shouldn't be thinking about anything but flying the aircraft. You shouldn't be thinking about how uncomfortable your life vest is. Um, so if you're distracted, um, it could be dangerous. Definitely. So we really concentrated, as I said, on on the design of the vest, moving fabric away from the back of your neck. Now, I know everybody here, or everyone listening is probably put on a life vest. And first thing that they'll do is they'll hang it on the back of their neck. Because that's what we're trained to do, right? You put, you get on a boat, you've, you put on one of those big rigid things and it, it hangs on the back of your neck. And even with a little bit of weight after a certain period of time, anything hang, hanging on your neck will cause fatigue. Right. The X-Pac actually 
is designed to move fabric off the back of your neck and allow the weight of the vest to be carried by your shoulders, which are going to fatigue a lot less quickly than the back of your neck. Um, the low profile around your neck and head also eliminates interference with, interference with your headset. It allows you for a better range of motion while you're, while you're aviating. Uh, the version that, that you've got, uh, Abby, is called the X-Pac Molly. Um, Molly is a system that we kind of stole the idea from the military, much like many of our uh, military designs. They eventually make their way into the public sector. Um, but the Molly allows for customization of the, of the vest, including um, that heat bottle that you had mentioned before. And what does Molly stand for? So Molly actually test. stands for modular. <laughs> modular lightweight load carrying equipment um as i said it's uh very prevalent on a lot of um, military backpacks and uh apparel and it's basically a series of loops one inch by one inch that are universally sized uh to which you can apply any number of molly compatible accessories and if, even if you don't like the accessories that we sell you'll probably find about a thousand different companies that make molly compatible pouches and leg straps and gun holsters and sandwich holders and <laughs> eyeglass holders and i have a sandwich holder <laughs> my little pocket i think i have one the pocket is big enough that comes with the with the pfd and i put my i put my snacks in there when i'm flying because yep. cfi I get i get hungry all the time sandwich and sunglasses that's what we always say <laughs> i like that but yeah, really, though, what we sized those a lot of those pockets for was uh, being large enough to carry things like electronic flares and PLBs. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So I carry a he bottle on my right hand side. Um, Heed. What is that? So Heed actually stands for helicopter emergency egress device, even though it's widely used throughout aviation. Um, the Heed bottle is actually a small compressed air cylinder with a mouthpiece and a regulator attached to the top. And what that's for is in the event that your aircraft becomes inverted or capsized or submerged, um, the heat bottle gives you those extra couple of breaths that you might need to locate the door, open it, and make some egress from the aircraft um, safely. So it's really not something to be understated. Um, what I teach my students, if if it seems like they're just they're getting tired and overwhelmed, I make them breathe for a couple seconds. <laughs> that oxygen right. to your brain, you start getting, you start thinking clear and. You make better decisions when you have oxygen. It seems like an obvious thing, but really just having that extra second, especially in an emergency where you have some air and you can slow down and you can make a good decision. Yeah, scuba and divers might recognize the heed bottle as the spare air bottle, which I actually think is much more consumable for the average person to understand what it is. It, it's exactly that, spare air. Right. So my best analogy for it is... If you need this device, a heat bottle, you're going to probably have an explosive event in the airplane, most likely a gear down water landing or hitting a log or something in the water that causes you to capsize end over end. And in that event, your good chance you're going to have the air knocked out of you. Uh, number one. Number two, you're probably not going to have a chance to take a good solid breath of air. 
And then you're going to end up in this really uncomfortable emergency situation with your nose filling up with water. And if you haven't gone through uh, the capsizing training and, and gone through the underwater egress, you might not have a true appreciation for this. But those of us who go through it on a regular basis know it all too well. You're going to be you know, you're not going to be in a good situation to have a good solid breath of air in the first place because it's either going to be knocked out of you, you're not going to have a chance to get it, and you're going to be consuming air very rapidly because you're in this emergency situation. So having the ability to have a device like the heat bottle on your PFD where you can literally get 38 breaths or thereabouts of air, now you have, if you can breathe... Now you have time to slow down, catch your breath, get those belts undone, cut them if they need to be cutted with your seatbelt cutter, but you have time to get the door open. You have time to think through the process because quite honestly, once you can breathe, everything else is is a lot easier. So that's the importance of the heat bottle and what we're talking about. And I don't think anyone really realizes how fast, if you land gear down on the water, it happens. It's explosive. So fast. No, like... It's just no one understands that. It's not a slow cart roll into the water. No, no, no. This is happening fast. So, Paul, what does the TSO seal signify? So I know that my X-Back Molly is TSO'd. What is, what is that? Can you explain that to our listeners? Right. Unlike many of the other uh, life vests that some of, uh, some of your listeners might be using today, the XBAC and all of the Switlick life vests are approved under the FAA's TSO or technical standard order. And this signifies that design approval for the life vest has been reviewed, approved, and we have license to make an airworthy, uh, an airworthy product that can be used either in commercial or in private aviation. The TSO sets forth the design and performance criteria, such as the buoyancy provided by the vest, where the components are located, the donning style, and even the properties of the fabrics that are used in the construction of the vest. The FAA TSO approval ensures that the vest has been tested and proves that the vest is appropriate for use in aircraft. Like I said, whether it's that's a commercial application or for personal use. And one of the things I would point out with a TSO vest, which is where it has that differential is in a lot of the non-aviation or more consumer-based vest, you have that nylon outer shell. While that nylon outer shell, number one, doesn't really provide any fire protection. And matter of fact, it may have a fire hazard to you if, if you're in a fire event. And so with the TSO vest, you have the Nomax outer shell, which actually not only will not readily burn, but it also might give you some thermal protection and instead of aggravating it with a nylon that may catch on fire. Absolutely. Absolutely. And some of these fabrics aren't actually tested against some of the chemicals that may end up in the water uh, in the event of an aviation crash, whether that's fuel or hydraulic fluid or some other uh, some other type of substance that may er- actually erode the fabrics. Whereas oh, I hadn't even the thought of chemicals- that. Wow. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. So aviation exactly. fuel is a volatile uh, a substance. And so you have a volatile chemical in the water. And so if you have a nylon that isn't necessarily resistant to that volatile chemical, then yeah, you may have a compromise in the ability for the PFD to actually perform as, as it's supposed to. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. 
So the uh, SPA also carries the uh, X-Back Basic vest, which has most of the same features as the full Molly. It one of the big things is, is it doesn't have the, the removable pockets that the Molly system has. Can't fit my sandwich. Can't fit your sandwich. It, it fits a PLB, though, in most cases. Um, but uh, the po- the pockets are smaller, and uh, so they're not removable, which means you cannot attach a heat bottle. Mm-hmm. That's one of the differences. And um, you don't have the, these larger pockets. It's a smaller pocket. Uh, but it does have the same Nomax outer shell that we were just talking Talking about and a completely redundant dual inflation system. And when I say completely redundant, so you have two chambers uh, to inflate, you have two inflation systems that are assisted with the CO2 cartridges, but you also have two manual inflation systems uh, for you to manually uh, use your breath to inflate it if needed. So this is one of the big differentials for me is that with the Switlik product, you have this dual chamber, you have this dual assisted uh, inflation, plus you have the dual uh, manual inflation. And this is on all of the products that we carry here at SPA. Yeah, definitely. I love that redundancy. I know we talked about that earlier, but you know, aviation, gotta love that redundancy. So kind of going through some of the um, general care taking of your PFD, how often should you test your PFD or replace your PFD? Is this something where somebody has to go out every year and they have to replace their PFD? What What do we do if, it, if we use it? Like, what do we do to repack it? Can we repack it ourselves? Just kind of hitting you with every question at once. Right. Well, I'll tackle them one by one if that's all right, Abby. (laughs) So uh, first of all, um, the life vest should be inspected at regular intervals um, by the user. Uh, And when I say inspected, we want you to just go over the vest and make sure that there are no punctures or tears in the cover, that none of your plastic buckles are broken, that there's no um, tearing or uh, or fraying on any of the... uh, the nylon belts or anything like that. Um, But that being said, we do expect you to send this back to an FAA approved repair station. As these are approved life vests, they should be taken care of by someone who's been trained in in inspection. Um, So we do expect you to send it back to an FAA repair station at a minimum of about every 24 months. Um, We as the manufacturer, we make a recommendation recommendation for the service interval, but the TBO or time between overhaul is ultimately decided by the operator uh, and under the guidance of their local airworthiness authority. Um, we have authorized service centers across the USA and Canada and many, many more worldwide. So um, and that, we need to every get that list. Interval. That's one thing I don't have on our website. We need to get that list and post it, uh, which I will make a commitment to do. You can find that at switlick.com slash locator. And if you click the FAA Life Vest Service box, it'll show you a map of the entire world where every single one of our uh, authorized and certified repair stations are. Oh, that's, yeah, that's a, a One of the more, again, this whole episode is about these common asked questions and that is one of the more common questions so great okay so paul i can't just repack the the pfd myself if i inflate it accidentally or if i use it in an emergency you don't recommend that i do it myself no unfortunately uh, that's not one of the things that that we recommend that you do yourself there are proper tech um, 
inspections that need to be performed, especially if it's used in an emergency to make sure that the vest uh, wasn't punctured during use. Uh, so an authorized repair station will bring it back in. They'll inflate it. They'll make sure that it holds pressure for a certain amount of time. They will inspect those inflator assemblies, replace the CO2 cartridges. And then one of the biggest things, believe it or not, with our life vest is how it's folded to be put back inside its cover. Uh, that ensures that it's going to inflate correctly the next time. If it's not folded correctly into the into the cover, there's a very chan- good chance that it could strangle itself and end up rupturing uh, because it doesn't inflate properly. Sounds very um, similar so, yeah. to parachutes, which <laughs> yes. I think Switlik has some kind of a relationship to. And um, yeah, I think they have some experience with parachutes. So yeah, that's kind of what it sounds bit. like, being able to pack it correctly. <laughs> Right, right. You wouldn't trust yourself to pack your your parachute without training. Don't do it with your PFD either, please. Definitely. I think what we want to stress, though, is with regular care, these vests are are incredibly high quality and there's no reason for them to last 10 years or more uh, with with proper care and consideration as long as they're not abused. So you can do these regular inspections when they're needed. But this is a very uh, long life product, and that's part of the price you're paying, is that you're actually getting a, a very high quality product. So, Paul, uh, talk to us about young children. Do you have any options for young children? This is another one of our most common questions is, is parents that are pilots talking about bringing their young children uh, along with them and finding a solution. And quite honestly, we don't offer a solution at the Seaplane Pilots Association, and I think you have a a, a solution for us to carry that we need to expand our product offering with. Yeah, we hope to get this one to you soon. Um, Switlick, as far as I know, is the only manufacturer of Constant Wear Life Vest that has specifically designed and approved a life vest for children 35 pounds and above. Uh, it's our All Packs Life Vest, uh, ALL-PAX. Um, it has an integrated child strap in the back of the vest that passes down between the child's legs and then up and clicks in the front, clips in the front, and that is to prevent the life vest from lifting over the child's head when they enter the water. Um, but the Allpax is a convertible vest, so if you want to put that same Allpax life vest on a full-grown adult, all you have to do is stow that child strap in the back of the vest, uh, and it is approved for full-grown adults 90 pounds and above as well. Um, so it's a very, very popular option for uh, tour and charter operators because they can buy a single type of vest and hand it to just about any uh, any passenger that's going to get on their aircraft. That's pretty so. interesting in the fact that it fits anyone. So it isn't like, you know, children's shoes where you buy a new pair of shoes every, I don't know, I don't right. have kids, but like how, <laughs> how often do you buy children's shoes? So, you know, they're constantly growing Too out of it. Too is the answer. <laughs> Too often. <laughs> I always like it when people buy shoes for kids that aren't walking. I always thought that was funny. But anyway, it's just nice to know that it can grow along with the kid. Exactly. Exactly. So um, you can start it out uh, with them uh, at the, at the, you know, that 35 pound lower weight limit. And again, it can grow with them because the vest is going to last you 10 to 15 years. If you service it regularly, literally they can wear it from the age of, you know, two and a half, three years old, all the way up to uh, 18 years old, likely. Wow. Wow. That's, that's great. It that's is great. Good stuff. So we got to get into like the regulations and stuff. Uh Oh, here comes I know. Abby's okay. dissertation. 
as a CFI. (laughs) It's just, it's such a weird area because I know that we've made our positions known in this episode and then in past episodes, how we feel about PFDs. You should wear a PFD if you're flying a seaplane. It just makes sense. But some of the Coast Guard FA requirements surrounding PFDs, I thought we'd get into some of those. Here we go. You make me nervous, Steve. Oh, no. (laughs) God, I'm shaking now. So the Coast Guard, the safety requirements, we are exempt from the U.S. Coast Guard safety requirements, including those requirements for PFDs. The wording is it's an unnecessary burden to put on seaplane owners and operators. So we're covered there. But. But. There's a big but. What's a big but, Steve? Well, you're going to tell me about the okay, big butt. Okay, well, I know about <laughs> the big butt. But you get into the FAA because, you know, we're kind of like boat, airplane here, seaplanes. But you get into the FAA, the state, it states, a quote, the FAA requires all extended overwater flights carry life preservers and other approved safety flotation devices for passengers and crew for Part 121. That's regularly scheduled air carriers, 125, large aircraft slash capacity, and 135, and that's air carrier slash operator. So then you have the requirements for 91.509 for survival equipment for overwater operations, stating, no person may take off an airplane for a flight over water more than 50 nautical miles from the nearest shore unless that airplane is equipped with a life preserver or an approved flotation means for each occupant of the airplane. That sounded good. (laughs) She got it out. That sounded so good. So the FAA isn't being super conservative about PFDs. I know that the flying that I'm doing, I am perfectly legal. FAA, Coast Guard, if I don't wear a PFD, I'm all good. So why are we taking it a step further than the FAA? Aren't they already, you know, confining us and, oh, it's the FAA. Like, why are we taking it further? Why are we being more conservative than they are? It's an Um, open question. (laughs) Go ahead, Paul. It's legal to do a lot of things, uh, whether it's wise or not. Uh, is another is another question. Uh, my contention, Switlick's contention, every aviation safety expert out there will tell you that no matter what type of flying you're doing, you should always plan for the unknown, right? Definitely. Yes. We don't know what's going to happen as pilots when we're going up in the air. Uh, there are too many variables outside of the control of the pilot. Um, you could be the best pilot in the world, But if the aircraft or the weather don't cooperate, you can find yourself in unexpected trouble very, very quickly. And you don't want to find yourself regretting your decision not to carry a life vest when your feet get wet. And if you're thinking the best, you're the best pilot in the world, you already have some of those hazardous pilot attitudes that I think the (laughs) FAA talks about. Ooh, you're starting to sound like me. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, man. I like this. I'm rubbing off on her because no one will lecture someone like me about safety. I'm not going to lecture anybody, Uh, though, but I mean, it's it just makes sense. You know, I mean, Paul, you're right. We don't know what's going to happen as pilots. Aren't we constantly we're looking at the risk and the reward and the pre-flight planning, just the common sense stuff like just makes sense. And so that's the thing. I mean, I on a normal year spend about 50 I do about 50 safety seminars a year. And for me, uh, not only in the position as the executive director, but also, you know, in this position of doing all these safety seminars, to me, pilots really have to recognize that we are risk managers and that it's our responsibility to create the greatest possible outcome in any flight scenario. And so I know that I will not get into my Super Cub, as Abby knows, or anyone who's ever flown with Mm -hmm. me. 
I will not get in my Super Cub or any seaplane without wearing my PFD, and it's going to be most likely my Switlick PFD. And I won't let anyone get in an airplane with me without having a PFD on and ready to wear. So I'll continue to preach why seaplane pilots should wear PFDs. Um, You know, for me, it's the least expensive insurance policy you could ever have. And I just don't understand why you would get into a seaplane not being prepared to deal with this, you know, situation that none of us wants to deal with, but it is a a, a potential reality. So why would you not put yourself in a position where you have the greatest chance of survival? Isn't there a reason why we wear a seatbelt? Yeah. I mean, we don't plan on getting into a crash, but we all wear seatbelts, right? Right. Everyone should be wearing (laughs) seatbelts. That's a whole other conversation. Yeah. And I mean, go down to to not wearing a, a motorcycle helmet on a motorcycle going down the interstate freeway. When you have this device designed to save your life, why would you not choose to wear it? I just don't get it. So um, I will preach on this till I'm blue in my face. And I hope people understand that I do it because I honestly want you to have safe and successful flights. And I don't want to see you lose your life or a loved one's life because you just didn't take this simple step of of creating a good outcome in in a bad situation so um that's my that's my uh little passion subject i'll get off my my pulpit now sounds good no but you are absolutely right steve seaplane pilots more than any other type of aircraft operator should be carrying life vests Uh, and like you said not just for themselves but for their passengers as well Just taking a couple extra minutes to make sure that you and your passengers have the vests and they know how to use them could avoid a major tragedy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, before you get into your seaplane next time, make sure you have your PFD on. If you do not have one, you know where to contact. Contact us at the Seaplane Pilots Association. We'll try to get you hooked up with a correct PFD uh, for what you're for your flying. And Paul, I'd just like to thank you so much for joining us today. Happy Centennial. And to you. Thank you very much. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's great working with you guys. It's been a great relationship over the years, and I'm so thankful that you make the product that you do. So um, until next time, I'd like to thank you, our listeners, for tuning in. Clear skies and calm waters. We are so glad you joined us today. If you like today's show, I highly encourage you to join the Seaplane Pilots Association and become a member of the largest seaplane community in the world. Members receive Water Flying, the only full-color glossy magazine dedicated to the seaplane community. And it's available in both printed and digital form. Your membership also includes access to the Water Landing Directory app, which has the Seaplane Flight School directory and a calendar of seaplane events not only here in the United States, but around the world. The association hosts regular educational workshops, safety seminars, and gatherings for seaplane pilots and anyone with a passion for seaplanes. So look us up online at seaplanes.org, join our community, and support our mission of protecting and promoting water flying.